This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Well, you know, Blair, never in a million years did we think that we would have to address something called pandemic financials. Uh, but here we are, and that's the topic of this segment, how to manage your debt during a pandemic and how to avoid those pitfalls. And if there's anybody around that can explain it to us, I'm pretty sure you're the guy to do it. Well, I'm going to do my best. And yes, Elaine, 2020 has definitely been an unprecedented year. Um, you know, January through February were pretty normal. But yeah, since, since March, um, you know, even all of my staff, we've been working from home. We're still seeing clients, you know, still quite busy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite a transformation in how we've, we've assisted our clients just trying to keep everybody safe these days. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about the, how the, the pandemic's impacting some of the people who are connecting with you and your team? Yeah, so Elaine, there's I, I sometimes summarize it. There's nobody that I'm speaking with who's better off as a result of this pandemic. You know, many, many people are feeling the pinch. And, you know, the government's done, I think, a very respectable job of putting, you know, relief programs in place. Um, you know, creditors have done a good job of coming to the table with payment deferrals. But all of those are temporary solutions. And a lot of them are coming to ends relatively quickly. So we know CERB's been extended a couple of times, but it is looking like it's going to come to an end, you know, this fall. Uh, there'll be a transition to EI, but again, none of those are going to be permanent solutions for folks who've had their income interrupted. Um, and, you know, it's also the case that before the pandemic hit, BC consumers were already in a pretty perilous situation. Um, you know, we saw that insolvencies had risen more than 10% year over year in calendar year 2019 compared to 2018. Uh, and that's a huge increase because the year before they went up 1.8%. Mm -hmm. So it was really accelerating the number of folks who are already, already having trouble with debt. Um, and since the pandemic hit, you know, insolvency filings, bankruptcies and proposals, they've declined pretty significantly. Um, but I think any trustee that you speak to, and certainly myself and our firm here, we think it's just a temporary situation where people aren't better off, um, but they're taking advantage of payment deferrals. They're focusing on what's right in front of them, their necessities of paying the rent, uh, paying the mortgage, you know, sometimes paying down some of the debt. Um, but I think we're anticipating that a lot more folks are going to need our help um, over the next coming months here. And what about a payment deferral? How does that work for folks if that seems to be something that they're using? Yeah, so a payment deferral is where you work out with your creditors and you've, you've got to do this formally. You can't just stop paying and then expect they're going to say, oh, yeah, we'll defer those payments. Um, but a lot of creditors, you know, credit card companies, even mortgage companies, um, you know, they've offered a six-month moratorium on payments. Now, okay. that sounds great, but in general, what happens is they just continue to charge you interest, and that gets added to the balance. So, you know, if it's your mortgage, you're going to be paying more in the end because of that extra interest that you didn't pay for the six months. If it's your credit card, well, we Got know it. credit card interest rates, um, you know, you've just 
delayed making some payments, but they're still, you know, tacking those interest payments on. Um, what's also interesting as well, and I think that's given people some comfort, um, is the creditor enforcement of debt has been at a standstill since about March. Um, so I wasn't hearing from clients. They were getting a ton of collection calls. Uh, the courts were shut down in every province across Canada. Uh, but that's really flipped, almost like a switch in the last couple of weeks. We're getting a ton of calls from people that collectors are hounding them. The collectors are all working from home now as well, it seems. Um, and with courts being reopened, I've had numerous clients who've been served with legal documents saying they're being pursued for payments and being pursued for a debt through a court system, you know, first off, it's pretty intimidating because most of us, you know, don't know all the ins and outs of what's a criminal offense versus civil. Um, You know, first off, you never go to jail for owing money unless there's just some fraud involved. Um, But, you know, it can be pretty scary to to be served some legal papers, and that's been happening more and more just in these last couple of weeks. So the idea of the standstill on enforcement, that's really come to a close very recently here. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, let's talk about the pitfalls that you that you want to talk about that are important ones that maybe people are thinking about, but boy, oh boy, at the end of the day, they're not the best the best option for you. What's your number one? Yeah, so I love doing these types of segments, Elaine, because to me, it's navigating the minefield, and these are things that you don't want to step on because they're going to have you know much greater negative consequences than positive consequences. And I think the number one um, idea is the idea of getting a cosigner if you're going to try to consolidate your debts. So I, I speak to people quite often, and they say, you know, I tried to consolidate, get a consolidation loan at the bank, and they wouldn't approve me, but they said, you know, if I brought in husband or wife or mother or father, brother, sister, um, you know, then they would agree if that person agreed to sign on the dotted line. Um, you know, I've, I've said many times, people ask, you know, when is it wise to get a co-signer for a debt consolidation loan? And the answer is almost never. There's almost never a situation uh, where that's going to be a good idea, um, because, you know, first off, the bank might have known something when they're not willing to, to approve you for the consolidation loan. They might have said, you know, you're going to have a bit of trouble paying this back or you're not going to have the assets to support it. Um, so in some cases, you might want to listen to them and say, well, yeah, is that really going to be solving my problem? Is this a payment that I'm going to be able to make? Um, but the other thing is I find people really misunderstand, this is from the borrower and the co-signer point of view, a lot of people co-sign a debt thinking that they're never going to be called to pay the balance. And if they are called to pay the balance, at most, it's a 50-50 liability, uh, and that's completely false. So if you co-sign a debt, it's what's called joint and several liability, uh, which means you're responsible for the entire amount. So it doesn't matter if the person doesn't make any payments, the original borrower, the co-signer can be held accountable for 100% of the debt. And I think one final point here is that it really removes some flexibility um, in that in the event that you know you get the consolidation loan and you find out you can't pay off that consolidation loan and you need to see a trustee perhaps to do a consumer proposal, which is going to cut the debt and give you something you can afford, uh, or to file a personal bankruptcy to get you back to owing nobody anything very quickly, what happens is I can protect the individual who's doing the proposal or the bankruptcy, but I can't do anything to protect the co-signer. That person's agreed to be responsible for the debt, so it can really constrain an individual if they know a consumer proposal is in their best interest, but they know it's really going to hurt a family member or a friend who stepped up to co-sign for them, they can just feel completely, you know, trapped in with their options, uh, not wanting to hurt someone who's put their name on the dotted line for them. Got it. And does that include, or can we lump credit, uh, you know, joint credit card accounts or vehicle financing, the same, the same situation plays out there? 
Well, yeah, you want to be careful on both of those, Elaine. So when it's a joint credit card account, you want to look at the cardholder agreement uh, and even look at the statements. If the statements are coming with two persons' names on them, um, then that's basically a joint debt, meaning that if one person doesn't pay the balance, the other person's fully responsible. Um, So even just getting a supplementary card, it can vary from bank to bank or card to card, uh, but there's definitely the potential that just by getting a supplementary card, you could be making yourself responsible for the balance that's outstanding. So most of the time, I recommend that people keep their accounts separate. Um, You know, it's usually just a minor convenience of having a supplementary card. Usually it's just a better idea for the bank. They've got, you know, a couple customers wrapped up. Um, So I tend to recommend against it. Uh, With vehicle financing as well, um, similar to a consolidation loan, if something goes bad, if that vehicle, um, you know, is repossessed or written off or something, and there's a balance that's owing, um, that cosigner, again, could be held accountable for that. So um, in general, people should face their debt problems under their own steam is, is my firm belief. Um, and that's why I've got so much pride in the solutions that we're able to offer. You know, they're Canadian legislated, uh, but they're not based on anybody having to get a cosigner or qualify. You know, everybody's got the right to get relief and, you know, at least investigate those before you try to, to get a cosigner involved. See, and this is one of the reasons uh, why talking with a trustee, a licensed insolvency trustee, especially at Sands and Associates, um, they've got all this knowledge and base of knowledge and information and it's fact and it's legal and it's all of those things that you really need when you get into a situation where you're having to deal with your debts. That's why, uh, that's why we do this show and that's why we do these segments. Uh, talking to a real licensed insolvency trustee is really the only way to go. And that includes getting information like this one or number two paying debt with uh, your RRSP funds yeah this is probably the number one thing I see that really breaks my heart uh, because you don't have to do that but oftentimes people are counseled into cashing in their RRSPs you know maybe it's a friend or family member or even a collection agent or someone at the bank that says you know you probably should pay your debts with your RRSPs because if you had to go bankrupt you're going to lose those anyway and well gee 10 or 11 years ago you might have lost them but they've been protected assets for more than a decade now in Canada so it's never a good idea to cash in your RRSPs for anything other than to fund your retirement. You worked hard to save that money. So if you're contemplating uh, cashing in RRSPs to pay debt, it's absolutely a pitfall. Um, you know, oftentimes people don't consider the withholding tax that's going to be um, you know, held back, and maybe that's not even going to be enough, and they might owe some taxes the next year following. So it can be a really depressing, uh, demoralizing situation where you cashed in your retirement, you still haven't solved the debt problem, then you owe some taxes as well. So definitely it's one of those things. Think twice, think three times, get a lot of advice before you contemplate play cashing in your RRSPs. And I think uh, along with that is your is your third one, third pitfall to watch for, and that's getting advice from the wrong source. Yeah, it's really difficult when when you owe money because you can feel completely alone. And, you know, as much as I can say, I speak to people every day of the week, you know, sometimes six, eight consultations a day, um, and I'm giving people, you know, information they wouldn't get from anywhere else. But a lot of the times people reach out to whether it's friends or family members who are well-meaning but just might not have up-to-date information. Um, You know, even some accountants and lawyers, they don't specialize in insolvency, and the law can change quite a bit. So your best bet is always to talk to a licensed insolvency trustee 
agency. And, you know, sometimes people think, well, do I need a referral? Do I have to pay a fee? And absolutely no. There's no referral required. Um, you know, I often say the hardest thing is just picking up the phone to call us. Um, you know, just give us a call. We often can do a same-day or a next-day meeting. We're doing everything uh, over Zoom or uh, Microsoft Teams or over the phone these days to keep everybody safe. Um, but there's nobody I speak with who doesn't breathe a sigh of relief, get some information filled in, and get some real black-and-white information instead of the murkiness or gray area that a lot of things can feel like when you're dealing with a debt that you can't pay. And I think it's important too, you know, licensed insolvency trustees, you guys are so regulated uh, by the federal government as to as to what somebody can do to get themselves out of debt. Uh, it's just just a really good reminder for folks. Absolutely, Elaine. We're the only people that are allowed to file either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. So lawyers can't help you make that filing. Only a trustee can do so. And a trustee's not going to ask you for a retainer or a fee for service. Everything's going to be set by the government tariff. Um, so again, it's probably a much better outcome for people to speak to a trustee first before they exhaust everybody else in the Rolodex and then eventually um, you know, end up a little bit despondent. And we've just got just under a minute left here. Um, this is the last one, but I don't think it's the least important one of, of all of the pitfalls we've talked about, and that's having your own financial recovery plan. Well, that's right, Elaine. So we hear a lot about, you know, business opening back up and getting the economy back on track. You've got to think that from your personal capacity as well and really realize that if you're looking at your statements and you're only able to make the minimum payments, you're locking yourself into a plan that's not going to have you recovered anytime soon, maybe not even in this lifetime. So even a thousand dollars of debt on a credit card can be 10 years of payments. Six thousand dollars could be 40 years of payments. So really look long and hard that you can afford to pay down your debts and try to get things back on track, you know, in a calendar of two to three years. If you can't, then you should reach out to a trustee. Yeah, and you can do that a couple of ways. First of all, their website, sans-trustee.com, or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Now, this has got to be one of the biggest issues that people face uh, dealing with anything, but especially uh, finances and debt and trying to figure things out at any time in their lives. But certainly financial stress, stress around trying to make bills, trying to keep creditors away, whatever your situation is, the stress that that um, creates is enormous. And, and you guys uh, at Sands & Associates, I know, are so well trained in figuring out where the stresses are, first of all, and then giving some support for folks um, that are trying to get out of debt. So can we talk about some of the, the debt stress impacts that folks are experiencing, Blair, that, that you're talking to, especially during this time? Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. And obviously, we're in, you know, difficult times right now with the pandemic. But even absent that, you know, debt stress is not one of these problems you just put into a box and you think about, you know, a few minutes a day, a couple times a week or something like that. Uh, every client that I speak with, they describe their stress as all encompassing. It's from the moment they wake up until they're maybe able to get to a fitful sleep. Um, they just feel overwhelming stress of having obligations that they know they're not able to meet. Uh, and if we're generally honest folks, we want to pay our debts as they become due. And when you can't do that, you know, you can have all kinds of feelings of failure, uh, feelings of hopelessness, of powerlessness. You know, we survey our clients every year and we release uh, the, the results publicly. And in our most recent studies, over 90% of participants said it was a constant or daily worry about their debts and their general finances. So literally every day of their life, um, they said they were sleeping poorly, having arguments with spouse or partner, even alienating themselves from family or friends, just not wanting to be around people that would bring them joy. They just didn't feel they deserve that when they're not 
honoring their obligations. Now, over 70% of people said their self-esteem suffered as a result of being in debt. Uh, anxiety or depression was almost 80% of our clients. And the one that just really shocked me, the, shocked me the first time I've seen it, now it's been about three solid years, is one in five people have said they contemplated suicide as the solution to their financial problems. So if I ever needed a reminder wow. on why we, why we do what we do, uh, it's to try to reach those one in five to say, you know, there's no situation so severe uh, that should ever be a consideration. There's hope for every financial situation. And I know you've got some good ideas, some good tips for folks to, to help rein in that debt stress early on before it escalates to that really severe state that you've just talked about. Uh, absolutely, Elaine. Uh, you know, a lot of it is fear of the unknown, and the way you deal with that is you just arm yourself with information. Um, but it sometimes starts with just, you know, taking stock of the situation you find yourself in. Uh, so try to see what is causing my stress. And if it's finances, you know, is it the case that you stop looking at your bills? You know, you're hiding your account balances from your partner because, you know, it's going to lead to, to some sort of an argument. You know, quite often people, well, our offices were open, they'd bring me in stacks of mail. We'd open it together because they've just been so scared uh, to open their bills for months and months. They just know it's bad news. Um, sometimes people turn to coping strategies like overeating or substance abuse, you know, even overspending or gambling, you know, just trying to win back and, and chase losses. You know, none of these are good for your overall well-being in the long term and sometimes people will neglect their health or even punish themselves with negative self-talk or behavior just saying you know how could I have been so stupid to end up in this situation and from my experience you know very few people get into debt because they're completely stupid or just did bad things it's because they were doing their best and something happened outside of their control but that can be very difficult to see an objective person can see it clearly but when you're in the eye of the storm it can really be tough to be objective about your situation. Now, I know that you didn't make a note of this in this segment to talk about, but, um, you know, during this crazy time, this pandemic time that we're all sort of trying to figure things out, can you talk about how you at Sands & Associates uh, talk to your, uh, your clients or people who are wanting information who aren't able to come in and bring their stack of mail with them? Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. So as of now, since about March, you know, we've all been working from home to try to keep everybody safe. Uh, so we've been doing all of our meetings by Zoom, um, by Microsoft Teams, by Skype, or by telephone. And, you know, at first I was like, are we going to lose the, the personal touch, the client interaction? I found it's actually better. Um, you know, a lot of people are getting very comfortable. You know, even on your phone, you barely need to download anything to do a Zoom call. Um, and then it can be immediate. You don't have to travel to our office. You don't have to say, oh, I left this at home. I'll bring it next time. Um, so I find, you know, we're able to book people now, same-day meetings. We're able to help people all over the province. Um, so we've been able to expand the, the help we've been able to give to individuals just by offering things remotely right now. Uh, and the need hasn't went down. It, it's increased. A lot of folks are really feeling the pinch right now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, your next, your next point was about putting things down in writing as a really good way to deal with the stress. Yeah, so again, the idea of taking control of the situation is first you need to know, well, what's, what's the, the rules of the game? Where do I sit right now? Um, so I encourage people to sit down, list all of the debts with account balances, account numbers, and the payment requirements, just on a single sheet of paper, nothing too technical, uh, and then take a look at the household budget. You know, does that budget balance? Is there enough money there for me to be honoring these payments? Uh, if there isn't, well, then that, that's a good indication uh, that you're not going to be able to get out of the, this situation under your own steam. Um, even start 
starting to keep track of your income and your actual spending. So a lot of folks that I speak with, um, you know, they're using a credit card that gives them reward points. They charge everything on it. They try to pay it off at the end of the month, but they've got no idea what they actually spend across various categories. So just tracking things for a month can be just a revelation um, into, you know, hey, 30% of my income is going to my debt payments and I'm not even spending enough on groceries, you know, for a family of two, let alone the family of five that we are. Um, So it can be really important just to track your spending and see where the money goes. You know, it's a case no one is born knowing how to manage their money. No one's born with, with great financial literacy skills. It's a skill anybody can learn, and I believe it's way simpler than most people assume. Uh, and it's something at Sands and Associates, we spend a lot of time trying to coach our clients, counsel our clients so that they can be self-sufficient even after they finish dealing with us. Are there other financial items that, that people uh, forget about and then think, oh, gee, no, I need to include that, or what do I do about this what, that has sort of a financial connection to it? Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. So there's a couple things that we say you should go one step at a time, and these are, are kind of in priority um, sequence here. The number one is to make sure you're up to date with your taxes. So, you know, it's not the case that the government doesn't know you owe money until you file. They know everything is centralized with CRA. They've got your T4s. Even if you're self-employed, they've probably been able to look at your banking information without your knowledge. Um, but it's really your obligation as a Canadian to file your taxes. And what that does is it gives you access to government benefits you might not have even been aware of. So quarterly GST checks, Canada Child Benefit. Sometimes when I'm dealing with clients and we help them get caught up with their taxes, they actually get a lump sum of a few thousand dollars coming back to them. That helps them solve a lot of the debt problem. And they say, well, why was I so scared to do this? And I say, well, I'm not sure, but happy we could help. Uh, but sometimes people really have a block with doing their taxes every year. And it's the case. It's just something you've got to do. It gets easier the more that you practice. And the government's done a great job putting information online. If you're missing slips, you can get online access to CRA and do that. Uh, you know, another thing sometimes people feel anxiety about is not having a plan for the future or for contingencies of life. So, you know, if you're up to date on your debts and your taxes, well, consider, do you have enough life insurance if you were to pass on to, you know, to sustain your dependents? Are you saving your TFSA? Do you have an RRSP? You know, those are kind of your next level of financial stability. Uh, and then finally, making sure you have a will written. So, um, you know, dying without a will or intestate, as, as that's called, uh, can just be very difficult if there are assets that you want to pass on to others. Um, so that's another financial as- uh, aspect that you'd want to have sorted if, if you're at that point of really being up to date on things. Now, you've listed all the reasons why Sands and Associates and dealing with you guys makes such good sense, licensed insolvency trustee. But there's a piece that you guys offer, which I think is really well worth talking about. And you sort of mentioned it early on, when people are feeling alone and overwhelmed by it all, what kind of guidance do you, does Sands and Associates offer folks? Well, you know, we're we're a compassionate place for you to come and discuss your situation. We're going to listen first, seek to understand first, and then give you advice. So it's not that we've got, you know, two products and they either fit or they don't. It's everybody's situation is unique. Behind every person, there's a family, there's a story, there's a situation that's brought us here. And sometimes when I'm dealing with a client, I can tell I'm the first person they've really opened up to about these finances. And you can just almost see the weight lifting off their shoulders once they can be honest about where they find themselves. So it's really the case of don't go it alone. When you see a trustee, it's a confidential meeting. We're not going to tell anybody. We're not even going to tell your family members unless, you know, you want us to speak to them as well. Um, but in general, it's a non-judgmental, empathetic um, ear for you to come to talk about your situation and to get some really good advice on how you can move forward. We've been doing it for 30 years. And what motivates me the most is when clients call me a few years later and they tell me just how much better their life has become because they've dealt with their debt situation and it started with compassion and understanding. 
You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. On the line with us right now, Richard Moxley, a lead credit mentor. I love that title. Uh, Richard's got a really interesting background. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that I find super fascinating about you. First of all, you're an, you're an author. You've written a great book. It's called The Nine Rules of Credit, How to Start, Rebuild, and Always Maintain Great Credit. Um, you're a guy that's in demand, speaking all over the country. Uh, you're, you get published in the Globe and Mail. You've been on CBC Market Report and Global TV locally and nationally. You got a Financial Literary Leader Award for 2015-2016. And like I say, you travel all over and talk about it. You're married. You live in Calgary. We're just so happy to have you on the show, Richard. Well, thank you for having me. Really great. So um, I know like credit and credit rating and the rules of credit, that's your thing. That's what you know the most about. Um, what are the What are the biggest what are the biggest questions or what are the biggest things that you see or you hear from people about their credit or credit in general? So one of the, the best things to start off with, and I hope all your listeners are sitting down right now. Hopefully they're not driving, or maybe they probably are driving, but uh, hopefully yeah. it doesn't cause any accidents. But one of the biggest things that misconceptions just people aren't aware of is that the credit score that you have access to as a consumer is not the score that a bank or lender uses. Hmm. And I know that sounds really backwards. Uh, so Equifax and TransUnion, they have this kind of funny game where they give consumers one score, so the one that you're paying for is is different than what the banks are using, which is, causes a lot of confusion. Yeah, and is for, it better or reason. worse? Is it better or worse, Richard? That's what I want to know. Uh, you, you sound like we're talking about relationships here, for better or for worse. But um, it really, it, it has. It, it really depends. Okay. So it, it's the exact same information that you're seeing, but the scoring metrics that they're using to score you are completely different. Hmm. And so it, there's a lot of myths out there and misunderstandings about credit. One because the scoring algorithm has recently been changed a lot with Equifax in the last couple of years. And TransUnion and Equifax are always updating their score when, when they see a need. And then the other thing that throws everything out of balance and a lot of people don't understand is that even though certain banks will use Equifax or TransUnion or both, the score that the banks have is generally a customized version of what the Equifax and TransUnion credit reports are. So even if you're seeing the bank version, the same score that Equifax is sending to TD or the, the same score that RBC is, or uh, TransUnion is sending to RBC, that's not what the rep that is sitting across from you is seeing. And so it, it, it comes where this, this fascination that, that we have as a society with this score is really misplaced. And so I, when I wrote the book, my whole passion, my whole goal is to help Canadians get away from this score that's really a moving target and focus on actionable, simple steps that you can take in order to always make sure that you have good credit and stop worrying about what your score is doing because that's, there's no way that you can know what your score really is. 
And I think that's just so fascinating, Richard, because you see all these ads, you know, for monthly credit monitoring and get your free credit score. Um, and, you know, I, I yell at the TV, it's meaningless. <laughs> but but now, yeah. I, now I can tell the listeners. You, you and me both, yes. we're both yelling and throwing things at the TV. Yeah. yeah so, so it's fascinating. So the actual score that you can get, it's, you know, it doesn't tell you whether the bank is actually going to approve you or not, because they might be looking at different factors and you might be, you know, just playing a different game altogether. Exactly. And and you, there's a lot of free credit reports websites that are out there and, and are advertising that have some have come over from the states but this this idea this fascination with the credit score this mystical score that controls our life uh, unfortunately is this hype is is really misplaced and people are spending a lot of time and effort and money that's unfortunately wasted uh, you could read my book and understand more than you would probably ever want to know about the credit score as opposed to trying to chase this score. Okay, so what do I use then? If I really want to know um, or to see how I'm doing in relation to others or uh, sort of in the big picture, how do I, how do, I do that? So that's, that's where these actionable steps come in and, and the information, you got to be careful because we get inundated with American information that is not applicable here in in Canada and and the banks obviously use different metrics as well so you got to make sure that it's actually information and stuff that's used by the banks uh, but I'll give you an example of one that is another example of how backwards thinking some of these what I call rules of credit or some of these actionable steps that that need to be understood by Canadians and so one of them is you have to be very, very careful about closing or paying off your your debt. And I know that sounds really backwards. We would think that paying off a car loan would show that we're responsible, that we're in control of our finances. But what we don't understand as a community or society, sorry about that, um, so as a society is that the the, the, one of the biggest contributing factors to the score is how long you have had an account or a credit card or a loan open. And the minute that you pay it off, it becomes old, good information instead of good, current information. Yeah, Richard, and so th- if, that, that surprised me so much when I learned that because you hear so many people are counseled. Do you want to get a mortgage? Well, go and you know clear off all of your, your credit. They don't want to see that you've got too many open lines. You know, Maybe get down to a card just to show, hey, you, you can manage your credit. But that's completely the wrong advice. Exactly. And, and so we want to be very cautious about these things and, and why I'm passionate about helping the Canadians understand exactly how that works because I'll you know, having a history in mortgage financing for eight years, I saw it all the time. People would pay off their loans and then they'd come and they'd be all excited. I'm ready for a mortgage. You know, I I don't have any monthly responsibilities. And then I would have to be the bearer of bad news to let them know that, well, unfortunately, you've just kind of shot yourself in the foot and and we're going to have to charge you higher interest rates because of that. Because now the banks see that as you don't have any good current credit or you have limited current credit and all of a sudden your scores dropped 150 points, which puts your benchmark underneath what the banks want to see. So just by keeping those accounts open, 
that person could have had you know the the rates that they wanted, the terms that they wanted. They they actually you know really did something counterproductive, thinking they were doing the exactly. right thing. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the the advices I know a lot of the the listeners are saying, okay, now what am I supposed to do? Uh, one of the biggest things, other than uh, obviously, I hope you get educated with credits, uh, regardless of whether it's by by the book or or the credit TV, the stuff that I do online, but you you should always talk to a professional in the industry and ask them before you do anything major with your finances ask them ask the mortgage broker or the the mortgage specialist what do i need to do what do i need to avoid make sure you're talking to someone that has been around for a while and can actually guide you through that so that you avoid some of these major mistakes that you'll end up regretting so is there sort of a, a rule of thumb to go by, Richard, if I didn't talk to some, like I'm talking to you, I sort of, yep. I think of you as pretty much an expert on this. What are some of the things that I could do uh, that would put me in good stead before I make that big purchase or that go into a mortgage or, you know, whatever that step is? So one of the, the things that banks really like to see and they really take an interest in is what you're doing with your revolving credit. Now, revolving credit is anything to do with your credit card. Um, you can look at it with lines of credit, but credit cards are really what banks like to see on a credit report because that's what people mess up the most. And so if you are over leveraged or if you are missing payments or not making your minimum payments or you know, even if it's a, just a $15 missed payment, it just shows that you're not on top of your finances and that shows the lender they can predict the chances of you defaulting on some kind of loan or mortgage much easier than any other type of credit. Because most credit, like a loan, regardless of what kind of loan, essentially all you have to do is have enough money in the bank account, and that should be paid off. Now, that's not always easy to do, <laughs> but regardless, it's pretty simple. Where a credit card, there's temptation. There's you know, there's the minimum payment, uh, there's utilization, there's all these things that the bank is looking at. And so having at least two credit cards that are well-established and maintained very well, that puts you above and beyond the majority of people out there. So having a credit card or a couple of credit cards, keeping it at a zero balance or at least a paid-off balance monthly, yep. that's going to put me in better stead than, than not having them. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you don't necessarily have to have them paid off. I mean, it it is financially much better. You know, uh, it's not very good financial principles to be paying eighteen or twenty six percent on on a balance. But technically, you don't have to have them completely paid off. But the lower balances are extremely important when it comes to your credit. Okay. So, Richard, we've just got about a couple minutes left here. Um, I wonder if you can talk about the clients that I see to a person. Everybody is concerned about the impact of a bankruptcy or a proposal. If they have to restructure their debts, are they ever going to get credit again? Are they untouchable? Does it take seven years? Um, you know, obviously, I can reassure people from what I've seen, but can you give me some of the background here? You know, what's the impact of a bankruptcy or a proposal, and how can people recover and how quickly? That's a great conversation to be having, and it's very, very misunderstood, unfortunately. So, unfortunately, people see themselves uh, as finite, or their credit as finite, and because they were irresponsible or had some issues in the past, they kind of assume that they're, they've got this label of bad credit, and they're going to be messed up continually. 
and a lot of people just kind of put their head in the sand because they're just afraid of what someone's going to tell them. The good news and one of the best parts of what I do is give people hope. And and one of the, the best things that I learned in the mortgage industry was that essentially two years from discharge of any kind of debt program, you can get back to best rates and best terms. Wow. So even though it stays on your credit report for six years yeah. in BC, um, that's okay. Within two years of discharge, you can still qualify for best rates, best terms, minimum down payments, CMHC insured or whoever, and and move on with life. Yeah, and I, and I tell clients that two to three year clock, and they, they're just incredibly you know happy about that. It's not a life sentence. You recover quicker than exactly. you, you ever did. Yep. Yeah, Aline? I was just going to say, uh, in wrapping up, uh, first of all, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Richard. It's been great. Uh, pick up his book, The Nine Rules of Credit, How to Start, Rebuild, and Always Maintain Great C- Credit. Richard's on Twitter. His uh, handle is Average Joe. What is it? Average Joe Book? Is that what it is? Yes. Richard at Richard Moxley at Average Joe Book, also host of Credit TV. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Ashley Gurley's in studio with us, and Ashley's an estate manager with a wide range of insolvency administration experience with Sands and Associates, and uh, spends a lot of time with clients. I love this, uh, your one piece of advice for people seeking help with their debts, and this is such an important thing. I think in a lo- you could use this in a lot of situations. Your past does not define you. Meet with a licensed insolvency trustee to build a great plan for a financial fresh start. But I love that your past does not define you, and that would encompass all those 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 uh, regrets and mistakes that mm-hmm. people think they've made, and what a fool I was for doing that. Um, yeah, so that's a that's a wonderful attitude. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for having that. So we're going to find out about Ashley. And uh, I'm always curious at why, how people end up in the business that they're in. How did you end up in this business, Ashley? Well, honestly, it, it wasn't something that I thought I would end up in. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I moved to Vancouver uh, numerous years ago when I was looking for a job. I had a family member who was a licensed insolvency trustee, and the work always interested me. It seemed very fascinating, but I didn't know much about it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what, there's a job, why don't I take it and try to get a little more information on this business? So I took an introductory admin job and I just became so fascinated by the work. You constantly see people come in, leave with almost their lives changed, you know. Um, You've seen that the work was had a lot of purpose behind it and that it helped change people's lives and it went a lot of ways. So I wanted to continue learning and, you know, continue to see how I could help these people, you know, more and get to meet people and get to know more about what's bringing them in through the door and how I can actually take some action to help them. Must be really gratifying. Very rewarding. It's one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had. Um, A lot of the times I get comments like, I sleep better at night because of you. And that just makes my heart melt because, you know, financial stress is very real it takes up uh, a lot of space in other areas of your life when you're dealing with it. So if you can provide someone relief in that, you've now only just opened up other doors for a lot of space in other areas of their life, and you really see them improve in those areas of their life, which is so rewarding. Yeah, and uh, just in all the discussions that Blair and I have had over over the months about the you know our economic situation and and debt ratios and all that kind of stuff, um, there's going to be 
you know, there's there's never going to be a shortage of folks that get in over their heads, and often by no fault of their own, but mm-hmm. by their situation, and because it's changed dramatically, or or something's happened that they didn't expect, whether it be an illness or a job change or whatever. So um, that's great. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're doing the work. Um, what kind of education did you have to have to get in? Uh, so when I started at SANS, I actually didn't have much education behind insolvency. So as I went through SANS, I took the care uh, insolvency administration course. That was my start off there, and I learned a lot through that course. So. I finished that in uh, April of 2016, and then after that, I also took the CARPS uh, insolvency or the qualification course for the counselors, insolvency counselors course. So I completed that, and I've just almost done up my 50 sessions that you need to just finish up being qualified. Right, about 47, I think now. Yeah, almost, almost there. there. Yes. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> and which has been also a great learning experience, sure. meeting with different people and providing them that helpful information. And then just a lot of smaller courses throughout the way, tax courses, etc., Cool. Most enjoyable thing besides working with Blair uh, in your job? Well, we work with a lot of amazing people at SAN, so yes, working with Blair is great. Also working (laughs) with all of my other amazing staff members. Uh, Like I said, being able to provide people that relief and see how it really changes uh, their life. Um, Also being able to provide knowledge that people didn't even know was out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and knowledge is power. Without it, you know, you can't really do much. But when people get the information and they realize there's all these solutions out there, it really opens up a lot of doors for them. As well as just learning more about my own finances, you know, mm-hmm. working with other people's finances and seeing all these other different situations that are going on out there really makes you aware of, you know, that a lot of these things could happen to you as well. And so it's uh, it's a very humbling experience at the same time. We often talk about or, or have talked about in the past the the uh, sort of the size of the cushion that folks need, what they used to, what they had in the past and, and what folks generally have now. Uh, and it's it's a bit scary, right? Because it, it's a tougher time. It's We live in a very expensive part of the world. Uh, real estate aside, just mm-hmm. the cost of living uh, in British Columbia compared to Alberta, Saskatchewan, the Prairie Provinces, or your, uh, the Maritime Provinces. So that's great. Yeah, lots of, lots of good information. Ashley, I wonder if we could ask you to share a couple stories, maybe one or two of some clients you've worked with that's kind of stuck with you that you think might be interesting for the listeners, because a lot of folks listening out here, I want them to understand, you know, they can come and see you, but what's the type of situation um, that you've been able to help someone through recently? Recently, one that's really stood out to me is I had a gentleman come see me who was running his own corporation, and he ended up in a lot of tax debt over Mm -hmm. the corporation. Uh, He just wasn't very knowledgeable on how you needed to do the tax filings, etc. Was he a contractor or what type of... He actually ran his own uh, entertainment business. So it was a very interesting field that he had. And um, he just thought that, you know, there's no option for me. And Mm. he just kind of felt he had a family. And he thought that, you know, his family was really going to suffer from this as well. And he had this, again, a very negative idea around bankruptcy. You know, and after coming in and seeing us, he was just amazed at how much relief it could provide him in his life, that the tax debt could be included, and that, you know, eventually he could see a light at the end of this tunnel. So he made the assignment into bankruptcy, and he just actually recently completed his bankruptcy. Oh, and happy day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this client actually used to come in every month to do the budgeting with me because he found that so helpful throughout the bankruptcy, the monthly budgeting. And so he said that not only did it give him the relief, but there was so much knowledge and tools given to him throughout the process that now he feels 
really ready to go out there and be financially successful. And, you know, for someone with a family that has young children, that's just so great to hear. So that was one of my favorites. And the fact that I'm pretty sure he's going to then pass all this information on to his children, right? Mm-hmm. Because often kids are left out of that uh, of that discussion, that money discussion. And, uh, and that's really important, right? Yeah, really absolutely. important. Really important. Ashley, when someone's coming in to meet with you, what should they expect for that first initial meeting? You know, what type of information, what type of questions, how do you structure that first contact? You know, the first meeting is always a bit overwhelming for people, I find, but what you can expect from that meeting is just to really be having a conversation with someone who's qualified to help you. They're not Mm -hmm. there to judge you. They're not there to, you know, crunch the numbers right away. We just want to hear where you are at, what's kind of gotten you there, and how we can help. And so the first meeting is always just for you to really let us know what you're dealing with, get as much information as you can so you know, you know, I have the information on what steps I need to take forward. And that's really what the first meeting is. It's not about getting everything figured out, but starting there and getting you the knowledge that you need to kind of see what you want to do about taking over your situation. And what do you charge for that first meeting? It's absolutely free, which is the best part. Mm-hmm. And it's and you know and the, if if that's what it takes to get somebody in the door uh, to start this journey to figure out and get out from underneath this enormous weight, mm-hmm. uh, it's wonderful, right? I just think that's so great that you guys do that. Really good. Um, now we've got about a minute and a half or so left. Words of advice. Words of advice for folks. Take the first step. Don't feel that there's nothing out there for you. There are solutions. There's a lot of information out there. So just start by getting yourself informed because once you have the information, you will realize that there's a lot you can do about your situation. So if you're stuck in a situation where you feel, I can't do anything about this, start by reaching out and maybe taking that first initial consultation or hopping on the website and getting some information. Yeah, that website, Ashley, is amazing. I remember I went to it when, before I met Blair and, we, and started doing the show with them. Uh, it's phenomenal how much information you have. It's well-written. Uh, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not filled with terms that you're not going to know. It's just very conversational and gives you a whole bunch of different scenarios uh, and then the and then the answers and then of course that little bit of push to say you know what if you really want to take this on give us a call find an office yeah it's free it's unbiased advice um, I've never had someone say that we've wasted their time for the first meeting quite the opposite I have people say why did I wait so long I was so scared of being judged that this was going to cost money so on and so forth so if anybody listening if this can shortcut them from having literally two years of despair is what a lot of people take before they come in to see us to Ashley's point make the call you won't regret it and here's the phone number uh, 1-800-661-3030 to get that free consultation as well as to find an office uh, near you their website address sands-trustee.com you've been listening to dollars and cents the proceeding was a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of cknw